Welcome to Hive Mind, the weekly podcast from the Beehive about the latest and greatest in pop culture. I'm Meg Walter in studio today with Eli McCann and dun, da, da, da. Nick Morley is back in <sighs> studio. Hey, made, Nick. Thank you. I've made my return. We've missed you. I know. Hope I'm, to have you back some more. We need somebody here to talk about what's going on on Spike TV. Spike TV. <laughs> I'm here to give my takes. Nick's favorite channel. Yeah. Uh, Nick, why don't you start us out? Uh, real quick, we're going to do what we've been watching before we dive yeah. into our favorite movies of the decade. So, Nick, take it away. All right. Sounds good. So, I was on a flight recently. Um, so, flights are normally when I watch, like, garbage mm-hmm. movies. Just, like, stuff to make the time go. Um, and I chose to watch a movie with Reese Witherspoon called Wild. Have either of you seen this? <gasps> have not. Did you like it? Yes. Uh, heard it's boring yeah a little slow um it's it's a total oscar bait movie like Mm -hmm. she's really going out there in the wilderness like really struggling Mm -hmm. um shows like a broken past uh did you see it no okay did you i watched it over somebody's shoulder on a plane okay because what i I was watching wasn't entertaining (laughs) You know you can switch them. What? <laughs> <laughs> but you know I don't give up on shows. I do know. <laughs> that even happens on planes. Oh, oh man. Shit. Okay. So, um, I didn't love it, okay. and I I had a hot take about Reese Witherspoon that um, oh, does she only do well when she's like really done up? Like, can she like do? She does two hundred percent. She gives two hundred percent. Yeah, and I've never seen her like gritty. Right. She's always like cute. Yeah. Is that always, what you're asking? Yeah, like uh, like I don't know if she could like. You remember when Charlize Theron did that movie Monster? Like yeah. the yeah. and she just looked like just horrible, and she was just awesome. Like I I just don't know if if she can do a movie like that. So I think she was like trying a little bit too hard on this one. Gotcha. Um. So I don't know. Tough look for Reese. Like I respect her, and she's done great things with her career, but I don't know. yeah. Anyway. Uh, you guys talk about the Mandalorian already in the past? No, weeks. actually we haven't. Uh, I I talked about it with Steven. I haven't talked about oh, it with okay. Eli. So it's getting worse. Oh, I like it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Talk to me. I like it that it's um episodic and it's not every so, it's not hung up on an overarching. Plot See that narrative. that's what a lot of people are hating on it right now is that like mm. people are like oh where's the plot line? But it's like where's an it? old western. It's like he goes to a town, yeah. he encounters whatever, and then they move on to the next. So town. you're thinking of it as like vignettes, like yeah, like a... Gunsmoke or whatever. Okay. Yeah. I've heard it compared to westerns quite a bit, and I think it makes a lot of sense in that frame of thinking. All right. Well, maybe I'm looking at it with the wrong eyes. Like, I mean, it's it's entertaining, but in like uh like I've heard feedback that is like, oh, it's like not violent enough. Like from the trailer, we thought it was gonna be like this mm. like big shoot 'em up type of thing, and he's like, you have to like Disney makes it. Yeah. So it's like, and I don't know. Star Wars. Yeah, it's Star Wars. Like, I don't know what you guys were expecting, uh, but. And it's Baby Yoda. I <sighs> Baby Yoda is okay. painfully cute. Like. It hurts to he, look at Baby really? Yoda. Is he, is he too cute? Like, is that possible? I know. Like, anytime like he goes away from the screen, I'm like, ah, let's let's get back to the where's, priority here. Let's see what Baby, Baby Yoda's Yoda. doing. And when and, they pick him up, I'm oh. like, my body aches. Oh. Like, I want to hold Baby. Is it Yoda. actual Yoda? 
No, it's no. it's a baby of the Yoda species. Yeah, is but... Yoda a species? I thought that was his name. I guess he's a species. There's only like two of them yeah. on record. There's oh. Yoda and like Yonda or something. I'm don't come <laughs> at me. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not a Star anyway. Wars person. <laughs> anyway, but it's not Yoda. It's Yoda species. I'm gonna finish the show, but I like the music a lot. Wow, I'm I'm there. Right? I'm watching it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Eli, what have you been watching? Okay. I am. I promise I'll go through these quickly. I finally got myself to watch Saving Private Ryan. Oh, you know, I've never seen it. Huh. So I've refused for all these years because I don't do gore or violence very well. And yeah. that's all I've ever heard about it. But I finally watched it. And I think because I was expecting the worst, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. In terms of violence? Yeah, violence. Okay. Uh, and it's a fantastic movie. It's amazing. It really is it deserves all of the credit. Remember that it's when gotten. Shakespeare in Love won over Saving oh, Private Ryan? Was it that year? That was well, such because a bad Harvey look. Weinstein did his whole like <sighs> pressure campaign. Oh, Harvey! Oh, <laughs> I'll wait till it's my turn. Again. But I have a lot to say about Harvey. I cannot wait for that. Okay, for those for those who are, have been following the drama, let me just give a quick update on Survivor. We talked previously about there's been a lot of really awful uh, plot storyline this season because of a guy who is basically sexually harassing one of the other contestants producers didn't do anything about it it kept escalating and escalating people are outraged over this thing and then last week he was kicked off of the show because he apparently did something to one of the producers or people who works on the show off camera and survivor is not commenting on it and cbs can't say anything because i think there's some legal stuff going on but it has been just gross super shocking that the guy that did stuff on screen is worse off camera. Yeah, and he kind of even looks like Harvey Weinstein, and Ew. he's a, like a Hollywood producer, and Ew. he was just like, well, so I can do what I want. You know, he's got that mentality. Ew. Do not like him. Madam Secretary ended. So sorry. Oh, no. So it was... What are you and my quite... dad going to watch? <laughs> it was quite the ride. <laughs> it's quite the ride. I will miss <laughs> Taya Leone and Tim Daly. I hope they do more together. I recently started a television program from the early 1990s called The Vicar of Dibley. Oh, my gosh. Have you guys ever heard of The Vicar of Dibley? No. Have not. But I'm looking forward to the description. <laughs> it's a British show. Of course it from is. From the early 90s. What? It's called The Vicar of whatever. What Dibley. else would it be? Ah, the Vicar of Dibley. <laughs> it's about a sleepy town called yep. Dibley who they gets a are. new vicar. <laughs> and the new vicar is a woman. I've seen the show 20,000. Times. Whose sass the town cannot <laughs> handle. Oh my gosh. And it is outrageously good <laughs> and bad. Okay. And I cannot stop watching it. And I recommend it to all people everywhere. It's kind of bringing me back because Keeping Up Appearances is one of my favorite pieces yeah. of media of all time. And it's a very Keeping Up Appearances era and vibe. Um, we watched the mar- a marriage story, not together, but I know you okay, watched it. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I left that out. I, have, I thought you guys were going to cover it. I have such mixed feelings about it. I can't tell if the performances are great or terrible, but they're one or the other. Um, I hate the lawyers in it so much, and the lawyers in it are reasons why I sometimes hate being a lawyer. Yeah. Uh, what I will say is I'm glad I watched it because it actually has made me think a lot about my own relationship and has 
given me like a lot to think about just in terms of like, oh, well, you know, she complained about the Adam Driver character doing such and such. I think I sometimes kind of do that, yeah. you know, and it's it has. And I've noticed the chatter online. A lot of people are kind of like, oh, it's kind of made me think about my own marriage and like whether I'm seeing it like slowly deteriorate and in certain ways that I could probably be like more aware of. So what do you guys think? I have seen I was very lukewarm on it. I was like, that's, I think they both did great. It was probably 45 minutes too long for me. Yeah. Um, it's, it's fine. But I have seen a lot of divorce people and children of divorce respond very strongly to it in mm-hmm. a positive way, which makes me think this, I'm not the one to really speak to this movie. I think that it speaks to a certain life experience that I have not experienced, mm-hmm. and it would probably be more meaningful for me had I gone through divorce or had parents go through divorce. Mm-hmm. I get that. So I almost feel bad for my lukewarm response. Mm-hmm. I loved Adam Driver. Oh, he's, it? He is so good. He's he's really great. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was fun seeing Scarlett Johansson in a role like that, too. Uh, I thought they both, both did a great job. I think I thought it lived up to the hype. Um, mm-hmm. I gave it a little bit, but like I didn't watch it when it like, first came out. I looked at Twitter and I looked at all the, the, the film geeks that, that were, were talking about it. And I... I, I did think it was a little long, but I did think it helped get the point across, and I think it couldn't have worked with a better cast. I was. I do think the acting's great. It was. It? it was great. Is, is it Laura Dern's new thing to just play a terrible person all the time? She's good at it. She's yeah. real. Also, how long is her neck? Oh, she is uh, brontosaurus. <laughs> her neck is very long. <laughs> well, she did Jurassic Park. That, oh, that's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Beautiful day in the neighborhood. Meg and I went together. And I'm very sorry. We were supposed to podcast about it, and I got violently ill, so we missed it. Yeah. I liked it more than the documentary. Yeah. I'm the other way around. Um, I enjoyed the documentary more, but I'm a huge Mr. Rogers fan, and I think I really liked seeing actual Mr. Rogers a lot. Yeah. Um, I never could accept that Tom Hanks was Mr. Rogers, although I liked his performance, but the whole time I was like, I'm watching Tom Hanks do it. Yeah, so, so tell me about that, because I was worried about it, because the, the documentary was so successful, and I was wondering if the movie would be more successful if the documentary hadn't come out first, and like, when I watched the trailer, I was like, yeah, he's, he's doing a good job, but like, does he go for it a little bit too much? Like, does it come natural to him, or can you tell that he's like... It's Tom Hanks. Yeah. Here's what I said to Eli afterward. Yes, you're watching Tom Hanks do Mr. Rogers, and you're not completely separated from that. You're not completely transported by his performance. Sure. But Tom Hanks is kind of a Mr. Rogers-esque persona. So yeah. He's a the kind, persona. good yeah. person that we all like. He always plays like the regular guy that's doing the right thing. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, yeah. I mean, he fits into that really If it well. was so. Jack Nicholson doing it, it would have been harder to watch. <laughs> yeah. I agree yeah. with you. And yeah. I'm, I'm not actually trying to criticize the movie on this point. What I'm saying is I went in like, I don't know if I'm going to buy Tom Hanks' Mr. Rogers. And then halfway through the movie, I was like... I don't buy Tom Hanks' as Mr. Rogers, but I'm really enjoying watching him do this. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a great movie. It's a good movie. It's, yeah. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Cool. And then finally, Meg, you hate The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Oh, boy. I watched the whole third season. I think each season has gotten progressively worse. I'm still entertained enough to keep going, but I think that they need to end this show unless they're going to fix it. Are you, are you done? Yeah, go ahead. So while I was violently ill, you know, I was laying in bed just watching whatever in between naps. And I got two episodes into Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And I was like, why am I so angry right now? Mm -hmm. I'm so angry. And then I realized it was because I was spending time with people I really don't like. Like they're all terrible. 
I don't like them at all, and I decided I was done with the show, and I haven't looked back. Okay. Um, I just don't think she's likable, and I don't mean that in like a sexist woman should be likable way. I mean she's like mean to people in her life, yeah. mm-hmm. and not she's selfish, and I don't want to spend any more time with her. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful show. Oh, I wish beautiful. that there were better people on it. Yeah. Uh, so I switched over to a show on Netflix called Glow Up. Oh, it's okay. a British reality show about makeup artists. Yeah. Hmm. Devoured the one season <laughs> available on Netflix. Super mad there's not more. Uh-huh. Really wishing there was more because it is delightful. It moved me to tears. I cannot wait for more of this show. I love a show about people who are passionate about something and are just doing that thing and you get to watch them do it. Is it like British sweetness? It's not as sweet as Great British Baking Show. What could be? But yeah. it's still like we all love each other and we're sad when one of us gets sent home. Okay. Hmm. Kind of. I mean, it's kind of like Project Runway. Okay. So I get it. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we have so much to get through yeah. because we are we here do. tonight to talk about our top 10 movies of the decade. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm sure there's a more scientific way to do this, but the way we're going to do it is we're going to go down the list starting with each of our top 10 uh, all the way to number one. So we'll end with all of our favorite movies of the decade. And there's some overlap here. Yeah. We'll identify when the overlap happens. Um, but Nick, tell us your number 10. So before we get into the list, um, I just wanted to point out that this decade was insane. Oh, like yeah. when it comes to movies, uh, I was, I had so much fun putting this together because like, I like all the, the only lists that I read, it was to jog my memory. Yeah. Like I didn't like put any like thought into like, oh, this critic had this at number one and this one had it at number yeah. seven. So that's why I put it. And like, I, I looked at lists like the top 200. I looked at the top 100. I looked at top 10 lists. I looked at everything to just like kind of remind me of like when I was watching these movies. And that yeah. this, this list was very like gut heavy for me. <laughs> like it wasn't like, um, like I didn't like do every single best picture nominee or anything right, like right, that. Right, I tried right. to, and I tried to take all the recency bias out of it. Yeah. So, um, so I started with Creed at number 10. Uh, so this is a film by Ryan Coogler. Mm. Um, did you guys see Fruitvale Station? No. Before? No. Okay. And it's one of those where I keep wanting to watch it, but I know it's going to really bum me out. Yeah. So I, I watched Fruitvale Station before Creed came out because like I, I got really great reviews at Sundance. He was um, seemed like a director that I could really vibe with based on the premise of the story. It's this awesome movie. And then I saw that he was he was going to do Creed. He was going to do a boxing movie. And I was like, oh, finally, yeah. like a, a, a filmmaker is going to make a sports movie yeah. like this is going to be like good. Yeah. And like when the trailer came out, like everyone was losing their mind because like at, at first the first like two minutes of the trailer, it's just Michael B. Jordan. There's nothing about Rocky. There's nothing about that story yeah. or anything. And, and then, like, it shows, like, him in Rocky's restaurant, and it's like, oh, okay. So, like, it kind of pissed off a couple of people because you're, like, you're touching a timeless franchise here. Yeah. And, okay. like, you are you are going to be scorned if you don't get this right. And it's better than all the Rocky movies. Well, I, it's and, not Michael B. Jordan in it. Yeah. And also, quick... Quick thing, mm-hmm. it's insane that this guy is named Michael Jordan, and we all know that it's not the basketball player. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that, he has established himself as right. Michael B. Jordan. You got to be really. Yeah. You got to be a really good actor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go on. Anyway, I I saw it in the theaters. It lived up to every single expectation that was put in front of me. I had such a good time watching it. I I had to own it. The favorite scene in the movie, it's his first like small time fight in Philadelphia, and he does a. Ryan Coogler decides to do like one round where he doesn't 
do any transition scenes. He doesn't. He just does a loop around every single fighter, and the choreography is amazing. It must mm-hmm. have taken hours to to put a scene like that together and get everything right. And it it's best sports movie ever made. Tessa and it had Thompson. To be, oh, and right and Tessa. Like, early, early Tessa Thompson. Yeah, I mean, she did Dear White People before that, mm-hmm. and then she appears in this, and it's just. It's so much beyond the boxing. She's she's got like hearing loss, and that like ties into the the mm-hmm. whole theme of the movie about like living up to like what your expectations should be. Yeah. Um, set by other people, and it's it's just an awesome movie. Yeah. That's It's number ten. Great. Uh, Eli, you're number ten. My number ten. I won't say a ton about this one, but I did put Grand Budapest Hotel on my list at number ten. I had kind of forgotten that it came out this decade. It came out, I think, a couple of years after Moonrise Kingdom, which was previously my favorite Wes Anderson mm-hmm. film. Um, Grand Budapest Hotel, although maybe thirty minutes too long, is just such a clever, creative movie. It's visually stunning. Mm-hmm. The storytelling is fun, and the dialogue is very, very witty. I recommend everyone go back and rewatch that because it has been many years, and I feel like it doesn't get talked about very much. I agree. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the cast is so good in this movie. Um, yeah. Is it Ralph Fiennes that plays yeah. the? Yeah. I. I uh, yeah. So we're running a piece in conjunction with this podcast, and so I've been compiling all the information about all these movies because you two sent me your list, and I've been looking at the clips for this, and I had forgotten about Grand yeah. Budapest Hotel until I started, I looked at the cast, and I was like, are you kidding me? Every living actor is, is in, in this yeah. movie, yeah. and then I pulled up the clip, and it is so creative yeah. and so visually fun. Yeah. Yeah. Even like just the two minute clip I saw, I was like, oh, yeah, great yeah. movie. Like a really good pick. Yeah. Um, n- My number 10, real quick, I'm going to piggyback off what Nick said. Lists are meaningless. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we're doing this because we want to talk about movies. There's a lot I could have included mm-hmm. or not included. It really came down to like the 10 that I've thought about the most. Yeah. It could have gone any other way. And ordering them yeah, was absolutely. kind of a crapshoot for me. Like, yeah. I was like, how what, is this actually better than what I put at number nine or whatever? Eh, whatever. You could like reverse the order of mine yeah. and I'd still be like, all right. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Um, but anyway, what I did put for number 10 is Sicario. Uh, Nick, you have this uh, number five on your list. Yeah. Sicario is a movie that made me realize something that was go- going on in the world that I had. I knew it was going on in the world. I didn't understand what it looked like until I saw Sicario. And that's the border cartel violence with Mexico. Mm. This is a movie where Emily Blunt plays an FBI agent who is tasked with helping the CIA in Mexico deal with the cartel. And it is very effective and very visceral. And it is a movie I think about all the time. And it's from a brilliant director uh, who has another movie on my list. Um, it's a movie that has really stuck with me since mm. I saw it. This was the first um, Denis Villeneuve. Is that how you pronounce his name? I don't know. Don't speak French. Sure. Apologies to the <laughs> listeners. Uh, but it was it's the first movie that I saw of his. And um, first of all, Emily Blunt. Is so badass in this movie. She's incredible. She is so awesome in this, and it and Benicio del Toro has this spine-chilling scene at the end of the movie that I won't spoil for. If you guys haven't seen it, you just have to watch like the last 30 minutes, and it will tell you all that you need to know. But um, I I put it at number five because it's just like what Meg said. Like I I think about this scene 
and this movie, like every time I turn on the news, like what what are we doing to like police these things that may or may not be super ethical that yeah. huh. like we don't know about? It really gets into dirty, yeah. dirty tactics mm-hmm. used by our side in stopping these guys and what's ethical and what's right and what's wrong. And I really have not stopped thinking about it since I watched it. Wow. Nick, your number nine pick. Number nine is 127 hours. Oof. So, well, um, uh, okay, I pulled up the clip for this and I had to turn it off. It's like yeah. the anxiety is okay. so, so much. So, okay, so I don't, I don't love Danny Boyle movies normally. I, mm. I really don't. Slumdog um, Millionaire. Yeah, like it's. I love Slumdog yeah, Millionaire. Yeah, it's good and like. A little cheesy, maybe. Yeah, it's like, it's like all of his movies are like really on the nose. Like yeah. it's like, it's like I'm trying to get this point across, and it's like I, I understand Danny Boyle. You're a creative guy, and like. Like, your movies get a lot of acclaim, but... So, this one, I think about, like... I've, I've seen it, like, five times, and um, I think about him being stuck down there, and it's like, it, what what do you think about when you're facing death? And, mm-hmm. like, this guy didn't only have, like, one day, and, like, he knew he was going to go. Like, he was down there for, for five days. Oh, and my then, gosh. So, you think about that. You think about what Danny Boyle did with James Franco in that slot canyon. The majority of the movie is in that canyon. He's able to make a compelling... So that that canyon is his world now. Like, for that five days, they do a really good job of saying, like, this is what he does in the morning, and this is how, like, he he survives for the next six hours on, like, this much water, and, like, this is how he gets entertainment. And then, so, like, within that two hours of the movie, you feel like it's a lot longer because you're, you're sitting in Aaron Ralston's world for like what he felt like was the the end of his life, the end of eternity. And like one of the most compelling scenes is when he's, he's near the end and he starts thinking about like his life and his regrets. And it's like, if you're put in picture yourself in that situation, like what would you be thinking about? What would you be regretting? Like what, what message would you have for people that affected you in your life? And like, if you could take back anything, what would you take back? And he didn't know if he would have the chance. Mm. And it's just one of those movies that makes you that made me really appreciate like being in the moment and making sure I'm taking advantage of times with with my family and with my friends and like cuz if I'm ever in that situation where I have time to think about that like I mean he probably lived his life a lot differently after after that experience and I just thought he did a really great job of encapsulating something that we should all take advantage of. I remember finishing that movie and drinking like a gallon of water. Uh, <laughs> that movie made me so thirsty. <laughs> wow. Because he sweaty. does yeah. again. He does such a good job yeah. of just making he, you yeah. feel well, and, it. And at the beginning too, he, he's like he's going through his apartment and he's getting ready for the trip. And there's one scene that he leaves the faucet on just to like fill up the water bottle. And the water bottle's just like yeah. overflowing. And then you know what's gonna happen. That's the thing is that wow. the audience knows the story. So like he's setting it up really well that just the water's just like flowing and yeah. he's just like taking advantage of it. And then like he he's reaching for his pocket knife and like. He just decides to just leave it. And like, it's just like, he just sets the stage so oh well. My it's my gosh. favorite Danny Boyle movie. And like, that, I will, I'll give it to you though. The, the scene where he does amputate his own arm is. Can't do it. It's horrible. Can't do it. Yeah. But. Eli. Anyway. My number nine, another film that I think is really underrated is Philomena. Yeah. Uh, <sighs> I, cool. I think about the scene in Philomena, um, that has to do with forgiveness without spoiling it once a week. I think about it all the time. There are very few movie scenes that can make me cry faster 
Um, but this is a story about a journalist who goes with this woman played by Judy Dench named Philomena to search for her now adult son whom she was forced to give up for adoption uh, back in like the 1950s or, or earlier um, by some nuns that had taken her in when she became pregnant out of wedlock. And it is a gut-wrenching movie. Uh, Judy Dench is amazing in it. And the film says a lot about the concept of forgiveness. Um, I find it incredibly inspiring, and I don't think it gets talked about enough. I, I agree. I wonder if part of that is the studio's failure to market it correctly, because mm-hmm. the trailer's pretty cheesy. Is it? Um, and it kind of was billed, I think, as like a feel-good comedy to... Uh. Yeah, mismatched pair traveling the country, and that's uh, not what it is. Yeah, it's like a rough journey of an older woman who's yeah. lived a pretty rough life. Yeah, not it's only really that, but good. Steve yeah. Coogan's character is like a really cynical guy, and like he didn't want to be on the story. And like, there's a scene where Judy Dench, like, like he's like, "How can you like be so nice to like these people?" And she says, "I don't want to be like you." And yeah. like, it's just like, oh, that's the man. that's the scene I'm talking yeah, about when. Like, yeah, when he says, "How could just like that, how can you forgive her? And she says, it's not just like that. That was hard for me, but I don't want to be like yeah. you. Oh, my gosh. It is so just such a heartbreaking, beautiful movie. A must watch if you haven't seen yeah. it. Mm-hmm. My number nine is Parasite, which came out this year. Yeah. A Korean movie from Bong Joon-ho uh, in Korean. I have not, uh, granted, I saw this fairly recently, but I have not stopped thinking about it since I saw it, and I find myself thinking about it more and more. Um, It's billed as a horror, which isn't super accurate. I think they don't know what else to call it. There are horror elements, but it's not a scary movie. Mm. It's maybe more of a thriller, but it is, first and foremost, a dark comedy about class. Um... And it's very powerful in what it says about class and in the way classes treat each other um, and the major problems we're facing. The less you know going into it, the better. It's one of the most beautiful movies I've ever seen, uh, one of the most beautiful sets I've ever seen, one of the smartest movies I've ever seen. Cannot recommend Parasite enough. Okay. I have a question for you about Parasite. I haven't seen it yet, but it's it's getting all of the the movie critic buzz right now like is it like beautifully shot yes yeah breathtaking okay in a beautiful house beautiful scenery beautiful people Hmm. beautiful costumes and also horrific scenery Hmm. um ugly scenery yeah just two very different worlds very well shot huh cool uh you need to see parasite okay nick your number eight my number eight is drive um you had an expression. Tell I, me. I think Drive is one of those movies that came out where we were all like, Drive! Yeah! This is our movie! And now, like, seven years later, we're like, oh, remember Drive? You think it's lost steam? I don't even know what it is. It's Ryan Gosling is a getaway driver okay. for criminals in LA. And it's like a very LA movie and like yeah. the soundtrack's very LA. Yeah, it's like it's like super chromatic and like the the fonts all in pink neon. and it, yeah, it's like very neon. Um but it's got like a ton of like really good heat check performances in it. Like um like Carrie Mulligan is in it only for like 
maybe like 10 minutes of screen time yeah. and she's awesome. Brian um, Cranston. Brian Cranston's in it only for like maybe like seven minutes. Albert and Brooks, right? Albert Brooks is the villain. Um, same with Ron Perlman. Ron <laughs> Perlman, I forgot yeah. Ron oh, Perlman's Ron in it. Ron Perlman's in it. Um, and um, Oscar Isaac. Um, plays Carrie Mulligan's husband oh that, that comes back. So like everybody is in this movie, and like the reason that I like it so much is that it's it shows a really like different side of L.A. that's normally portrayed in in movies. Like they show like like a robbery of a pawn shop in the valley. Um, they show like these like really dingy grocery stores and like the really like like crappy parts of L.A. that like are normally shown in like a rap video, but it's really just like where people live and um, like it's beautiful, it's violent. Like Ryan Gosling doesn't say a whole lot, which is very Ryan Gosling. Yeah. <laughs> the less he says, uh, the so, better. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So it's like it, I don't know. It just it just hit all the, like the buttons for like a popcorny, like really fun movie for me to watch, and it's like super rewatchable. I I watched it like a month ago, and that's one of the things I took into account when I was making this list. Like, do I want to watch these movies again? Yeah. And like this is one of the movies I wanted. To it's watch. a big mood. Yeah, oh, for it's, sure. It's like the yeah. biggest mood of movie. Oh, Christina be. Hendricks is in it? Yeah. Yeah, like, and it's weird not seeing her as Joan, and, like, it's just, it's just so fun. It's one of those movies I feel like you have to let yourself be in it. Mm-hmm. You could be a half a step more cynical and be like, this movie is trying way too hard. Yeah. But you have to respect how hard it's yeah, trying. Yeah, for sure. Like, it's... I think this was his only good movie. He made another movie after called Only God Forgives. And I it's think got, that everyone walked out of. It was so stupid. Yeah. It was so bad. And, like, so that was, like, okay, this is his... I'm fine with this being a one-hit wonder. Like, and if this him is, your, is Nicholas Winding Refn. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, he did an Amazon show, too, that didn't really take off. But, um, anyway, I did... I'll it's di- a big swing. I'll die on that hill. I love, love it. it. Yeah. Uh, Eli. This is the only movie that made all three of our lists, I think. Yeah. Uh, my number eight was Whiplash. Yes. Are we talking about it? Yeah. Which is just such a fantastic movie and so stressful to watch about a young drummer who has an insane teacher. Are they at Juilliard? Where are they? Yeah, uh, it's Schaefer. like a, a made-up school, yeah. right? But it's a music conservatory. Yeah. And the teacher is. Uh, pushes him basically to the point of nervous breakdown. J.K. Simmons, Oscar-winning performance. Did he actually win the Oscar? Yeah, he did. He is so good in it, and the drumming is incredible. And I'm not, I'm not into drumming, but I, you can't not get that, into this. That's what I was excited to talk about. I don't like jazz music no, very much. No, I, I really don't like I it. I actively hate jazz yeah, music. Yeah, like I'm like, I won't go and like watch like a jazz combo, like perform for no. 30 minutes. That sounds like hell to me. <laughs> but like for some reason, like when I'm watching Miles Teller drum, it's like. I want this guy to like be the oh best. My gosh. Like and uh it's a great story about like human potential and yeah. like what people are willing to do to extract it yeah. out. And, and what's okay and what's not okay mm-hmm. to extract that out of people. I think it has the most breath the most breathtaking scene uh, of the decade. And it's actually oh, yeah. the scene I've included in the write up of this. Okay, um, good. It's just absolutely incredible. You need to have seen the previous two hours to understand the full context yes. of the final scene of the movie. Yes. And it'll just knock you off your feet. It was, I was, I literally watched this in my house and when the final scene was happening about halfway through, I just stood up. Yeah. I like, I like couldn't watch that yeah. scene while sitting down. <laughs> and it was Damien Chazelle's real coming out party, yeah. right? Like it was like, he made a, he made a Sundance short. I think it was like 15 minutes or something like that. And then he made a, 
a whole movie about it. And like he got a lot of grief for not putting like the original like actor in it, but like Miles Teller is Miles Teller killed me. Awesome in this movie. And like I'm wondering like where did Whiplash Miles Teller go? Because I haven't seen him do anything like comparable since he's hard to work with. Is he? Yeah, he's a little bit of a diva. I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, so. he, when you're that talented, you can be. Okay. What, what's your number eight, Meg? Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Yeah. Scott Pilgrim versus the world. As soon as it started, I thought, this movie is made for me. This is made for my generation. It's made for very specific people in my generation. There's a moment when they're all at band practice, and someone says to a guy, what do you play? And he says, Zelda. And it's just such a clean, funny joke that only people my age would get <laughs> that I'm like, they they really went for it here. Yeah. Like, they made the joke so specific that they knew there were whole swaths of people who were not going to understand this movie. And the fact that they went that narrow makes me love it so much. Huh. Everyone in it is incredible. Kieran Culkin is in this yeah. in, like, his first yeah. big role. Michael Sierra is great. Mary Elizabeth Winstead is awesome. Amazing in it. My daughter's named Ramona. I tell people it's because of Beverly Cleary. It's not. It's because Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Every joke <laughs> is incredible. It's so fun. Beginning to end, it's entertaining. Even the end where it goes completely bonkers is still hilarious. Smart jokes, really well done. I, it was the first time I'd seen Edgar Wright direct, and I've been a pretty major fan since. The way that it's edited, it's like the transition scenes and like the animation that he that he puts into it. I've never seen a movie like it since. Yeah. Uh, I I was thinking like after I saw it, like oh people are gonna copycat this. Like we're gonna end up seeing like mm. video game movie after video game movie and like things like that. But um. I, I still remember seeing it in theaters. It's unforgettable. Unforgettable. And yeah. I was completely blown away. It was like a movie that was made for my people. Uh, Nick, what is your number seven? My number seven is The Big Short. This was a, a honorable mention for me. Okay. So uh, the reason I like The Big Short so much, uh, it deals with – I first of all, I was gone in 2008. I was in Brazil yeah. uh, for two years. So I, I missed the whole – the whole recession thing. So I came back and kind of had to read about it and um, didn't really get to live it. So like this was a great, first of all, a great educational thing for me to like show like what actually happened. Um, Adam McKay is, um, he started, he did like the funny or die stuff with, with Will Ferrell. And I, w- I wasn't expecting him to make a movie this good. Um, yeah. And I wasn't expecting it to get the Oscar claim of the, what, that, it, that it did. And the reason that it did is because they took something that was, pretty boring subject matter. They took things like a collateralized debt obligation and Mm. like recession talk and things like that and like turned it into something that's really funny and really understandable and like can hook your audience in even though you know nothing about banking. Um, My favorite parts of the movie are the when they break the fourth wall and they introduce celebrities to, to talk about like really mm-hmm. complicated, like type of financial um, crisis terms, like Selena Gomez and Anthony Bourdain and Margot Robbie in a bubble bath. And um, it's just really funny. It's on the nose. The, the, um, the cast is, I think it's Steve Carell's maybe funniest role. And Christian Bale's really great. Yeah. He's, he plays like a, a guy that um, is probably on the autism spectrum. Yeah. Um, really socially um, inept, but like really paranoid at the same time and um, really honest movie about like what what people went through. And like it tells like the story in several different ways that gives people perspective of the people that did get foreclosed on and the people that didn't get punished that should have. And 
tons of rewatchable scenes, tons of rewatchable lines. Um, it's it's a movie that I think about all the time. There's a moment in that movie where, uh, so it's called The Big Short because it's a group of investors have decided to short the market. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're betting against the housing market, uh, which everyone thought was insane, but mm-hmm. they saw that it was going to fall apart. Um, and there's kind of a moment where some of these investors are getting really excited because they can see what's about to happen. Yeah. And Brad Pitt, who plays a consultant slash advisor, kind of like lets them have it and says, do you realize what you just did? You mm. bet against the U.S. economy. This is nothing to celebrate. Uh, um, and that kind of carries through the rest of the movie. Like, yeah, these guys won, but they also understand that lots and lots of people, lots of helpless people lost. And that's pretty yeah. tragic. He huh. says every 1% unemployment goes up like 15,000 people die or something like that. There's some statistic like that. And it's just like the Run movie you. gets like really heavy wow. at, at that point. So, yeah. I, I agree. Yeah. I think that it's a very effective movie mm-hmm. in explaining something that's very hard to understand. Yeah. Uh, all right, Eli. My number seven, relatively recent movie, Eighth Grade, which I think was perfectly cast and perfectly written. Uh, I think about this movie all the time uh, about a girl who is trying to survive eighth grade. Um, she's got a father who's raising her and is trying to figure out how to best communicate and deal with the fact that she is going through quite a lot as a very lonely 13, 14 year old girl. Um, I know all three of us loved it. We did a whole podcast mm-hmm. on this, so I won't beat it to death. But I think this movie I would recommend to everyone. I, I think it's just such a phenomenal um, production from beginning to end uh, and very raw and real. And uh, one of my top 10 favorite movies of the decade. Elsie Fisher. She's fantastic. <sighs> the scene of her Keep going her to the pool party yeah. and like her shoulders all like slumped yeah. over. Yeah. Oh man, we've all felt like that at yeah. some Incredible. point. You know? Incredible performance. I, I think all the time about there's a scene where um, she finally breaks down with her dad after having a pretty traumatic experience, traumatic thing happened to her, and asks her dad if he regrets having her. And I can't remember exactly what the question is, but it's something to the effect of like, do you even like me? Do you, Am I likable? And she and the dad have just like the most beautiful conversation. And the thing that we, we talked about on this podcast that I think made this movie so impactful was that they didn't over monologue. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like a, it wasn't a this is us situation where you have like people giving speeches. The way that the characters communicate in this movie sound like a 13 year old girl and a dad trying to talk to each other. It's very stumbly. It's very awkward. And it because of that, I think it sucks you in so well because you can put yourself in those positions so easily. That's my number seven. Wonderful. Also an honorable mention for me. Uh, My number seven was Whiplash. So, Nick, let's hear your number six. Number six was Spider-Man Into the (sighs) Spider-Verse. So, um, let's be serious. Like, animated movies in Hollywood, they really pay the bills for the studios. Mm -hmm. Like, they they make more money than anyone else. And, like, sometimes it's just, like, sometimes it's a cash grab. Like, that's exactly, like, it sounds like Frozen 2 was, like, a total cash grab. Like, they were just, like trying to really ride the wave and and make another billion dollars off of off of Anna and Elsa. Mm-hmm. Um, this is an animated movie that's so unique. Uh, I don't think it's ever going to be replicated. Um, and they took something that a, a, like 
like 20 Spider-Man movies have been made now, and they took a very unique story out of it and turned it into something that people loved. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't see it in theaters because I heard coworkers say, like, hey, I saw that uh, Into the Spider-Verse movie with my kids, and I wish I wouldn't have taken my kids. Like, I I wish I could have just, like, been there for me. <laughs> and I was like, oh. Interesting. Like, this yeah. is kind of cool. Like, I, I wasn't expecting that kind of take. And, like, I saw it, like, like months after, and, like, first five minutes I was like, Okay. Yeah. I get it. Like this, we're never gonna see an animated movie like this ever again. And huh. um, every time I am picking a movie for my kid, I always put it on, <laughs> hoping that he's gonna <laughs> like not complain about it. Cause like, yeah, let's watch it again. But like, yeah, it doesn't happen very much. But um, I've I've watched it a few times since by myself. It, it's great to have on in the background. You catch like little like one-liners here and there. The yeah. cast is really funny. Um, Jake Johnson, um, who I always think of as Nick Miller from New Girl, but um, just hearing him like be like a lazy type of spider-man and john mulaney uh mm-hmm. <laughs> making like john mulaney jokes like in in a comic book setting it's just super creative and that's something that i thought about a lot when i was putting this list together is like who did something really different yeah, yeah. and this is a movie that encapsulates that mm. what i like about this movie is that it could have gotten very lost in explaining the spider-verse mm-hmm. it could have spent two hours just explaining what that is and what that means and instead of just trust the audience to go along with it mm. um and it says this is what it is we're moving on and you can just ride along with it and you're like yeah all right this is this is fine huh. and then you just the story plays out from there the characters are compelling the story is compelling the most astounding animation i've ever seen I have not seen animation like this anywhere else. I agree. I don't think it can be replicated. I don't think there will ever be another movie like this. Really a fun, great movie. Every time my kids want to watch it, I'm thrilled. Uh, Nick, Eli, your numbers. My number six. I had to ask myself if this was a recency bias thing, but I'm sure that it's not. My number six is Jojo Rabbit. It's the only movie from this entire decade I saw in the theaters twice. Mm-hmm. And probably the only movie I saw this decade that I would have been willing to do that with. Okay. And I saw it twice within like a week. Uh, I think it is so beautiful, so funny, so heartbreakingly sad. It is a perfectly cast film. Um, everybody's talking about Scarlett Johansson in A Marriage Story right now, but I think she was much better in Jojo Rabbit. Hmm. I feel like that should be the role people should be talking about right now. I disagree. Did you not like her in Jojo Rabbit? I thought she was fine in Jojo Rabbit. I think that it's a better performance in Marriage Story. Marriage Story is just like, it's like she memorized a bunch of play monologues and then like gave them kind of awkwardly. Um, Jojo Rabbit, she played like a really unique character um, that was so whimsical and fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, this is a movie I 100% recommend to all people of all ages, genders, interests, and so forth. I think everybody should go see Jojo Rabbit. I think it's still in the theaters as of the date of this recording. Yeah, I think yeah, so. Um, so find some time to go see it. Take your kids, take your grandparents, take everybody. It is a fantastic film. Awesome. Okay. Uh, my number six is Inside Out. Wow. Uh, good Kleenex out. Good, good pick. Inside Out the most succinct tutorial, succinct and effective tutorial on what emotional health looks like that I've ever read or encountered or seen. Um, This movie I watched as a 30-year-old and had epiphanies in the movie theater watching it Mm -hmm. Um, about, oh gosh, guys... (laughs) 
We're here for you. <laughs> Let it go. Um, first of all, about the importance of sadness in mm-hmm. someone's life and what sadness can do for somebody, especially right. somebody going through a hard time and what it means to sit with an emotion and the importance of that. And then <laughs> uh, on what it means to transition out of childhood, which means one thing for a human who has transitioned out of childhood and something else entirely for someone who has children and has seen mm-hmm. them grow mm-hmm. and transitioned from different stages of childhood and what that looks like and how deeply heartbreaking that can be to see kids um, change and grow and go from being a goofy little kid to a kid with big feelings and big experiences and problems, like human problems and human emotions and what growing up looks like. Um, I can't think about this movie without falling apart, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a movie every human should see. Um, I think it's a movie that imparts empathy yeah, and understanding of the human condition. And I think that's an incredible feat for an animated feature to- film. Totally. I just finally watched this a few weeks ago. It wrecked me, completely wrecked me. Um, but it was like so crazy i had never really thought about the link between sadness and empathy before yeah and like your ability to feel sadness and your experience with sadness is like ultimately what helps you become a more empathetic person and have the ability to like relate to other people on a on on a level that that is required in order for us to have meaningful relationships and it was kind of crazy to get that from like this animated film that was really for children yeah but I 100% agree. I think I don't like animated films generally, and mm-hmm. I think everyone should watch this. Yeah, I think uh, what's really interesting about the movie is the character of Joy is not empathetic mm-hmm. and what that means and what we can learn from that and that sadness is the most empathetic character in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's Every time I watch that movie, I take away more, and I'm glad that I did. Yeah. All right, I'm going to pull myself together. Nick, you're number five. My number five was Sicario. We already went over it. Uh, Eli, you're number five. Okay. I'm a bit of an evangelist for I, Tanya. Uh, I'm here for it. Which is just an incredible cinematic masterpiece. Granted, I was already obsessed with the story of Tanya Harding before I, Tanya was even announced. It was one of these things where when I found out they were making this movie, I like screamed, how are they just now making this movie? Yeah. Because it is yeah. one of the great stories of our Generation. It's one of the greatest stories ever told. The story of Tanya Harding. Uh, Margot Robbie is phenomenal in it. Uh, my favorite scene of the movie. Well, I have a two favorite scenes. My first favorite is the shoelace uh, scene when her shoelace comes untied. Partly because I remember watching that live as a kid. Yeah. And they just so perfectly recreate that. Except now they did it from the perspective of Tanya Harding and it is a stressful scene to watch because you see her kind of having this meltdown after everything that's happened her own doing sure um, but she's in the hallway trying to tie her shoelace and it's broken and she's freaking out and then she skates out crying and puts her leg up on the thing and like you feel the stress of that moment no matter what you think of Tanya Harding it is it, it is so well done and then my other favorite scene is when she's told that she's banned for from skating for life and she breaks down in the courtroom crying and it's like please this is all i have oh it is such a well done movie um alice and jenny who i have mixed feelings about generally but like she delivers on it mm-hmm. oscar winning performance mm-hmm. um 
I still will not watch Mom on CBS All Access. <laughs> I was going to ask. <laughs> but <laughs> Allison Janney is great in I, Tonya. I mean, I think we all look at Mom and think like Allison Janney yeah. should and could be doing better. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's mine. Uh, my number five is Room. Yeah. Um, this is the first time I had seen Brie Larson, and she's incredible in this. Not to mention Jacob Tremblay, the world's greatest child actor. Um, the Room... I mean, I guess it's helpful to explain what Room is. The first half of the movie is Brie Larson and her son, played by Jacob Tremblay, are being held captive in a room. It's all Jacob Tremblay has ever known. She's been there for seven years. He was born two years into it. Uh, He is a child of her rapist who is holding her captive, um, and she is raising this child in a room. They cannot leave. It's in a man's backyard. Uh, halfway through the movie, they escape and they are in the real world. Um, and it is their adjustment to life outside of room. Um, and it is a meditation on trauma and the human experience and what it really means to deal with something like that and how you would expect it to be a happy and wonderful existence moving forward and how it's much more complicated than that. And I hmm. think it's a beautiful movie about the human spirit. Not to be confused with The, the Room, room. <laughs> which unfortunately I think happens often. <laughs> and The Room is good in its own way. Oh, yeah. That's also a must-watch. Uh, Nick, your number four. My number four is Get Out. I was surprised that this made your top ten. I didn't really? realize you liked it this much. Okay. Um, I'm all about people that are bending genres. Yeah. yeah. Um, and like I, I said, I, I really value people that kind of push the envelope and want to make something that's very unique. Um, it's I'll, I'll give for the critics of the movie that say it's like really on the nose. Like I, it is, but like to a point of, I think it's fun. Yeah. Like that's, mm. that's why it's so cool. Like yeah. that's why it's so much fun. And that's why it's like, it's so much fun when he, when he figures it out and he gets back at the family. Like that's like that whole sequence is just like super violent. And you're just like, and you're kind of like laughing at the same yeah. time because it's just like so much emotion going on. But like, I had never seen the trailer for this movie. Um, I had, it just it just came up on HBO now and I was like I've heard good things and I watched it all by myself and like for two hours straight I was I was captivated um I was I thought of Jordan Peele in a completely different light and yeah. um, I'm really looking forward to the movies that he makes for the next like 20 years now I think he's um this I, I like this way more than us. Um, I thought yeah. it, I thought it was I thought it was a lot more creative. Um, I think us is a classic sophomore attempt. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just like like it get out created the buzz for us. Like I think yeah. us was successful because like oh I want to see the next Jordan Peele movie and yeah. like that speaks a lot to like he hit it out of the park on his first one and yeah. like this he won the Oscar for this he won the best screenplay for this um, extremely deserving. Um, I. I will watch this movie every single year just because I want to recreate like if if there are a couple of movies on this list that like I wish I could erase my memory and like watch it over again. And like this is this is definitely one of them. I mean, you know, there's a twist when you watch Get Out. Yeah. um, And you're expecting that. But even when you learn, you're like. Oh, that's yeah, what it and is. like the the family is like very like Maryland and like very just yeah. like and um like he the, he just says like oh I would have voted for Obama the a third term yeah. like if I could have and it's, it's just it's not like, the racism you usually right see in it's movie. yeah it's it's very much like we're really cool with 
like your whole vibe and everything like we're very down with it at first and then like it starts getting like like really creepy with the brother and like he just makes like really subtle hints and um there's like a whole bunch of like hidden meanings behind it and like I, I liked it a lot more when I watched it the second time yeah. because like I was able to digest everything a lot more. Yeah. Um, but it's forever going to be one of my favorite this, movies. This one almost made my list. Uh, I think it's so funny that we were all like, Jordan Peele? Really? Yeah. Jordan Peele? Yeah. Like, and Peele? Like, yeah. And then you see it, you're like, man, Jordan it's Peele. A, it's a good, it's a well-made film. It's, yeah. it's a great movie. Yeah. Uh, Eli, your number four. My number four is Black Swan, which is my husband's favorite movie of all time. Really? Yeah, he's obsessed with this film, and I had not seen it until I met him, and he told me it was his favorite movie, and it is fantastic. It's phenomenal. It's a good movie. It's, it reminds me actually quite a lot of Whiplash. They've got a very similar vibe just in terms of a, a, an artist being obsessed with their craft and going to insane lengths to become the best at it, but... Black Swan has a psychological, supernaturally vibe to it that turns it into something of a horror film. Um, I don't want to spoil it for anybody who has not seen it. I think that you should go and see it. Uh, if you haven't, the ending is breathtakingly mm-hmm. phenomenal. It, and it very much in a whiplash kind yep. of way. There is a performance at the end of the film that once you build up to it, it is so incredibly like You literally, you can't take your eyes off of it. Like yeah. if you're one of those people that like always is looking at their phone like during a movie, like it's impossible during this scene. Like yeah. I, I was... It, it was on my honorable mention list because I was this close to putting it... Like I couldn't decide what number to put it at. And like we were talking about, like the list yeah. is just so fluid. And But yeah. like... Yeah, it's it's so killer. Yeah, I in fact I kind of kind of want to go and watch it again. It's been a few years. I think it's an interesting movie because it's about the insecurity that comes with success. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She lands the dream role and that drives her insane. And that's so interesting because that is a phenomenon that happens. Yeah. That when people realize their dreams, it drives them a little bit crazy. Yeah. And they're so paranoid that that will be taken from them. Um, yeah. And that's not something you see a lot in media. And I love Natalie Portman. Yeah. I think yeah. she's just really great. Mila Kunis in it is <laughs> okay. really so good. I yeah. wanted to bring up the scene where um, Natalie Portman and Vincent Castle are, they walk into the rehearsal of the other dancers and Mila Kunis is dancing and she's like, look at like how she moves. Like mm-hmm. she's not faking it. And like, she, like Natalie Portman just wants to be that so bad for him, but she's not that. And yeah. like, it's just like, it's just so tough for her to like come to terms with that. And like, it's, yeah. it's so good. Yeah, it's great. It's a re- it's a good pick. Um, my number four is Lady Bird. Eli, this is you have this as number, number two. two on your list. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Lady Bird speaks to me because she's my exact age, and exactly. I was yeah. uh, I was in high school when Lady Bird was in high school. It in was the movie. trippy, right? To yeah. watch them in high school in and 2002. You're like, oh, that's what was happening. She at one point she turns to Beanie Feldstein and says, "Don't be such a Republican," you know, because yeah. it was like Iraq War, and yeah, like all yeah, that, yeah. you know, and it, that. So it's fun in that way, but it's also just a beautiful story about a girl coming of age and. We don't get girl coming of no. age movies. And this one, to have this one be the first major girl coming of age and have it be hit out of the park so oh. perfectly. Like, I'm just so grateful to Greta Gerwig for giving us this. Oh, yeah. For giving us this story. Every aspect of it is perfect. The stupid boys she dates, um, her relationship with her mom, her dreams for college. It's all so well done. Sorsha Ronan is incredible in yeah. it. 
Every, Lori, Lori Metcalf, Metcalf is a yeah. star. She's a revelation Just in this. The two of them together, I could watch it for five hours and yeah. still want more. It's if if we were making a list of our top ten. Fit, like best movies of all time, this probably still would be my like number two. I think so. I yeah. think it is it is nearly a perfect film. I could watch it over and over and over again. It makes me feel really good. Yeah. Like it's not a movie that leaves me feeling sad about the world. It makes leaves me feeling like so much hope about humanity. It's very sweet. It's very sweet, but it's not um sickening. Yeah. You know, it's like sweet in a way that feels very real. And the relationship between Laurie Metcalf and her daughter in this um, Lady Bird uh, is just unbelievably well written. And I want to like climb inside of that relationship yeah. and just like see more of it. Yeah. And the dad. I think the dad's an underrated yeah. performance mm-hmm. in that movie, but he's also astonishing. Yeah. Nick, you and I had the same number three. Yes. The social network. Mm. Social network. So I'm surprised that you guys liked it that much. Oh my gosh. You if you said to me right now, let's pause the podcast and watch the social network, I would say okay. The music itself is a character. Um Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross did the the score for this movie and it's a perfect score. Um, for a movie, there's I'm, always talk there. Is it a is it a David Fincher movie or is it an Aaron Sorkin movie? I think it's a Trent Reznor movie. It's a Trent movie. Reznor movie, <laughs> absolutely. Um, this movie is nothing without the score. The score is mind blowing. Huh. I I still listen to it doing emails. Like really? Oh yeah. It's like it's the most productive, like most like mind crunching, and it fits so perfectly for like the programming and the the algorithms and like the the backstabbing this movie's got everything and it's clear that people who understand sound made this movie uh i think that's especially evident in the scene where justin timberlake and mark you know jesse eisenberg are at a club and they're talking and usually in movies when two people in a club are talking you can hear everything they're saying and Mm -hmm. everything behind them is quiet Mm -hmm. and in this movie they are yelling over music at each other which is how you talk at a club yeah it's how you talk in a loud place and it's like oh these are people who understand music Mm -hmm. these are people who understand how this scene works and it is so effective megan knows this from her clubbing oh my (laughs) clubbing i cannot think of a better marriage to make a movie than aaron sorkin and david fincher I think it's the perfect balance of one guy who goes a little obnoxious sometimes and one guy who goes a little too dark sometimes. And you put those two together and you've got pitch perfect tone. I hope they never make another movie together. I don't think they should. I really hope that they don't because this is one of those things that this is a relationship that should never be touched again because Mm. creating a movie about the creation of Facebook will require a lot of explanation. It will require a lot of conversations. It will require a whole lot of dialogue between different characters. But like you could have done this movie a thousand different ways. You could have done it as like the success story that Facebook was and like look at like how the genius Mark Zuckerberg and like this make this movie makes him look like an ass. Oh, and yeah. like in yeah. like the and Jesse Eisenberg does it so well yeah. that he's just like so condescending and like yeah. Care, yeah, like yeah. doesn't care what anybody thinks but still cares what everybody thinks and um 
it's so powerful at the end when he tries adding that girl that dumped oh. him. And uh-huh. at the um, end of two like days of trial and court, and that's like still what he cares about. Just, yeah, like the end of the day, like he just he and, just like, wants validation, yeah. like all the rest of us. That's what Facebook is. Yeah, and yeah. and Rashida Jones's line at the end, he's like, "You're not an asshole, Mark. You just try so hard to be." And it's just like, how many of us on social media are, are like are like that? Yeah. And like it's mm-hmm. it's. It worked out perfect that, like, they didn't make it now. Like, it was still when Facebook was really popular. Well, can you imagine? Like, Instagram was a different movie now. Instagram wasn't a thing. Twitter hadn't really, like, taken off. Yeah. It was, like, yeah. it was the social, social network. network that everyone was using. So, like, it was so relevant to everybody that saw it. And yeah. I love that David Fincher took, like, a dark spin on it because um, – it can get kind of dark. It's like, dark. It's what a dark happened place. to what Facebook's happened to the world? Place. Yeah, and yeah. like in the in the trailer, like the first one where they have that rendition of Radiohead's "Creep," um, and they're like just doing like shots of of like people's photos and like people's statuses, and like there's one that like just says like "Where are you?" like question mark, and like it just like people just get so invested in it, yeah. and like the and just showing that the creation of it was dark too, like was. I, it might be a perfect movie. Hmm. I don't know. Like, yeah, I I remember hearing they were making a Facebook movie, and I was like, oh boy, that's gonna be awful. Mess. And yeah. it was incredible. Yeah. Um, the, the, to make a movie about someone making a website and have that be entertaining yeah. is <laughs> pretty spectacular. Yeah. And they did it. Uh, again, it's a movie very much of a time. To make a movie about Facebook now is yeah. a completely different, more horrifying movie. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a very interesting slice of a time and place, and I could watch it anytime, mm-hmm. anywhere. I'll watch it a thousand times. I'll never get sick of it. Huh. Eli, you're number three. This is what I would say is the most underrated film on my list. <laughs> and I know you, you guys probably didn't even come to your mind when you were doing a top ten list, but my number three is Bernie. Oh. Incredible. Incredible, starring Jack Black mm-hmm. and Shirley MacLaine, Matthew McConaughey as well. He's not the reason I like it. Uh, Jack Black is perfect in this role. I think it is a top five, like one of my top five favorite roles anybody has ever done. Shirley MacLaine is perfect in this role. It's very much the still Magnolia's Shirley MacLaine, but if she was even a little meaner. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, it is so witty and so sad. uh, And you find yourself rooting for somebody who does a terrible thing (laughs) because he's such a good, good person. Who just did one terrible mm-hmm. thing, and it really I feel like is an extremely unique story. Um, the presentation is extremely unique. It's quirky. Uh, they interview townsfolk about this like big event that Real happened. Townsfolk. Real townsfolk, yeah. and the townsfolk are unbelievable. I mean, you just want to take them all home, put them in your pocket. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I. Th- I could never get sick of watching Bernie. Uh, I cannot believe it did not get more attention than it got. It, it came out and I like didn't even hear about it. And then like a year or two later, I somebody was like, oh, you should watch that movie, Bernie. Jack Black's good. And I was like, I'm not really a Jack Black person, but OK. And I put it in and I am now a Jack Black person. Uh, I will go to the grave defending Jack Black as a phenomenal actor. Oh, he's amazing. He's it? amazing. Yeah. And Richard Linklater, I mean, I think he's kind of an under the radar director. Um, a lot of his stuff kind of goes without making making much of a blip, but his, hmm. he has very real fans. His stuff isn't marketed much. Yeah, and I think he may do that for a reason. Like I think he makes movies for a particular audience. Um, but I think are are we happy that this one didn't get more 
like buzz. Like, would it have ruined it? Maybe a little. Maybe a little. It's like, got more of a cult Because I, I feel like the people yeah. that have seen Bernie, like, like sought it out. And, like, when, like, we feel like we're kind of in a community with the other people that saw Bernie. And it's, like, more fun to talk about because not everybody has seen it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's what it, I think it's so fun. It's the cool people. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Bernie people. I, I, I don't know, too. And I, I've kind of looked up some of this before. But, I, I mean, the movie is about... A really, really sweet guy who develops a relationship with a very mean older woman, and he ends up in a moment of kind of psychological breakdown, murdering her. <laughs> with the armadillo gun. Yeah. With an armadillo <laughs> gun, and then he's put on trial, but like nobody wants to convict him in that town because they love Bernie so much. And um, I, it's a true story. Yeah. It's based on a true story. And I don't know, I'm sure that there was some consternations about the fact that they were portraying this true story in this way and i'm sure that there were people who were related to this woman who didn't like the portrayal right that 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 probably there probably was some drama around that and so maybe that's part of why this movie didn't get more buzz is because maybe there was some controversy i don't know but i saw it and i was just like how is this not more popular yeah yeah so it's it's great yeah uh nick your number two my number two was whiplash yeah and my number two is Lady Bird. I want to say one more thing about Lady Bird. Sorry. Please. I was going to mention, because you said the thing about maybe you're biased because you're the same age yeah. and as the person who's in it and whatever else. Um, and I may be a little bit biased too, but like one of the central characters is like a gay kid in 2002 who's like dating Lady Bird. And um, that like whole plot line spoke to me on such a deeply personal level. Um, And the scene where, uh, you know, she finds out that this kid is gay. It's 2002. They're in high school together. And uh, he goes to her work to talk to her because he's really worried that she's going to out him. Yeah. And he has this total meltdown breakdown. Who's that? What's the actor? Forget his name. uh, You know, him. That guy. Lucas Hedges. Um, Lucas Hedges. That scene is like one of the most beautiful movie scenes I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, And so anyway, I wanted to throw that in too. I love that. Yeah. My number two, uh, it really, my number two and number one, they're pretty much tied. Um, So this could be number one, uh, is Mad Max Fury Road. Tell me about this. Mad Max. I pulled up the trailer for this and I was sobbing by the end of it, which is insane because this is an action movie and I do not enjoy action movies. Uh, This is the most cinematic experience I've ever had. Uh, (laughs) It's late. (laughs) I I went and saw Mad Max Fury Road by myself. I had had a rough day. Uh, I knew pretty much nothing about it. Mm-hmm. And Charlize Theron was, with a buzz cut, driving an oil rig to save a group of sex slaves across the Namibian desert in this movie. And it was the most spectacular thing I had ever seen. Every detail of this movie is perfect. Really? It looks incredible there's a guitar that has fire shooting out of it and it's not the stupidest thing you've ever seen there's a caravan of half alive people who are banging drums to catch up with Charlize Theron and it's all making sense and you're going along with it and it's a deeply feminist movie Mm. it is one of the most empowering things I've 
ever seen. There's almost no dialogue, but I was completely enthralled the entire time. I think George Miller Miller is a genius. Huh. This is maybe one of the best movies I've ever seen. Wow. Nick, you have this as your number this one. This is my number one movie of the decade, and it's it's one of those things that I I remember I I will never forget seeing it. Um Meg's husband, Steven, called me and said, hey, I'm going to go see Mad Max at 3.15. You should come. And I mm-hmm. said, I'll be there. <laughs> and um, I, I I saw the trailer for it, like, between other movies, and I was like, eh, it looks kind of out there. Like, I don't know, like, I really don't know, like, what's it about? I never saw the Mel Gibson movie. And Charlize Theron, like, I think it's one of the coolest female performances I've ever seen. Um, I, I I can't even like talk about the detail that went into this movie and like the creativity of the costumes and the makeup and the vehicles and the, the noises, everything mm. made the sounds, everything is so spot on. And the fact that Tom Hardy speaks like 20 words, maybe total in the whole movie, uh, like, and the, have you never seen it? I have no, because I am allergic to action films. Okay. So, <sighs> But now I'm gonna see it you, because of this. I, I but here's I know, the thing. I know you are too, Meg, and so I'm surprised that you liked it this much. Here's the thing about this movie is it's so cinematic. It's I don't know if you can experience it on a small screen. Uh, I hope at some point this movie is re-released mm-hmm. because it is a movie to be completely immersed in. Hmm. Like, if you can see it in IMAX, you absolutely should see it in huh. my IMAX. Like, it's so visceral. And sensational. And if there's any case to be made for keeping movie theaters alive, it's a movie like this, where it's a movie that just loves movies. Every aspect of a movie. They paid such care Mm. and love and detail. When this movie was up for the Academy Awards, it won a whole bunch of the technical stuff, um, like sound and cinematography and like Mm. costume design, whatever. And the Biggest bunch of freaks you've ever seen were marching on that stage accepting these awards. And you could tell they were just people who were into their craft. And that is so reflected in this movie. I don't know why this movie makes me as emotional as it does, but I think it's because it's just like the purest movie, like the purest form of movie you can get. It's like looking at the Pieta. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah. you're joking, but yeah, also, no, I'm, like, I'm not, it's like... I'm not, though. I know so, what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean... You, it's, you, like, so beautiful that it makes you emotional. Exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah. you take a medium of of somebody that made a film, and you think about everything that goes into it, and you think about the work of the crew and the cast, and... Who hated it, by the way. Everyone had a miserable yeah, time making really? this movie. It's just, like, this miserable time, and then you look mm. at the finished product, and you you look at what this person has created and what these people have created and it's just like you want, I wanted the movie to be like six hours long. Like I, I didn't, uh-huh. I didn't want, I could have sat in there all day, like just like taking in every little like bit of detail on this, like post-apocalyptic wasteland. And like this, I, I don't know if, if I were going to make like movies that need to be put and preserved, like for humans to see like 200 years like in the future like i would want this one wow to be in there and we can't not mention the soundtrack either the soundtrack's incredible uh the score is incredible um and really makes the movie as so many scores do 
I will also say, I think Charlize Theron is a top five best actor of our time. <sighs> yeah, she's incredible. She's so awesome. Yeah, I, I don't know why she's not in all movies ever. And she has this face. It, you can do pretty much anything to her face, and she's fierce. Mm. She just has those eyes, and it works very, very well mm-hmm. in this movie. Uh, yeah. She's furiosa, and she's uh, she's spectacular. I nearly put Tolly on my top ten list. Uh, I have I it down so as much. an honorable uh, mention. Yeah, that was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Eli, your number two. Nope, we did. My my number two is Lady Bird. I That's think right. we're on our okay. number yeah. one. Nick, your number Mad one. Max. Yeah. Okay, and Eli. My number one favorite movie, and possibly my favorite movie I've ever seen, was Roma. <sighs> nice pick. Uh, I think uh, it started, and for like the first five minutes, I was like, oof, I don't know if this is going to be for me, because it's yeah. kind of slow. But once I settled into the pace of the movie, the filming was really creative, with just the camera kind of moving across scenes, like in constant movement. Um I thought it was so clever how they told the story of this young woman who's working for this wealthier family from the perspective of the young woman. So you only catch glimpses of what's happening in the world around her. Yeah. And you see how that kind of affects her. But really, the story is about her. Um, I think it is so sad. I sobbed my eyes out watching this movie. I think it is so beautiful the way this family, the mother and children of this family rally around this woman through like her own personal crisis and they all kind of bond together. Uh, I think everybody needs to watch this movie. I was really sad that it didn't, that it lost out to Green Book last year. Yeah. Such a crime. Um, But yeah, like when I saw it, I was, I remember saying like that actually might be the best movie I've ever seen in my life. And here we are over a year later and I still feel that way. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I feel very good about my initial impression on that. Um, I think everybody should watch it. There's a scene in Roma uh, that's, I don't. I still don't know how they did it, um, and it's very tense. You only see one character for a long uh, time, yeah. but you know what's happening off screen, and it's very tense. And the way they did that was unlike any scene I've seen in a movie before. Mm-hmm. Is this the beach scene? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she essentially there's kids she needs to rescue in the water, and you don't see the kids. You just see her scrambling to the water to the rescue water. the kids, and you, it's. Very, very emotionally. It's really gut wrenching. It's really hard to watch. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think that it's a very beautiful and there's good no movie. there's no music in the entire film. Yeah, ever. And it's in black and white. And it's in black and white. And it like ended and the the closing credits come and it's just silence with closing credits. And I was like, there was not music in that movie. Yeah. Like it was just it was so like raw. Yeah. And the fact that they were able to get away with that, because usually, I mean, I think a lot of films, most films, all films rely on music to kind of lead you in and out of different scenes and what's happening. And they just didn't do that. They just let this life play out on the camera in these perfectly timed sequences. And then suddenly the movie's over and you're just like, what is that world I was just in for two and a half hours? It's so good. It really, it's a really great movie. Yeah, but it didn't make your guys' top tens. It's an honorable mention for me. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Meg, your number one, which I'm really happy about your number one, by the way. Me too. My number one's Arrival. Yeah. People were very split on Arrival. Uh, Arrival ended and 
uh, I was with a friend and she looked at me in horror and said, are you okay? Because I was not okay. I I wasn't just crying. I had mm-hmm. tears streaming down my face. Mm-hmm. I was an emotional disaster at yeah. the end of Arrival, uh, which is bizarre because Arrival is science fiction, which is not a genre that I am usually drawn to. But this movie is so much more than science fiction. Mm-hmm. This is very much a movie about humanity, as cliched as that sounds. Uh, this movie is a movie about family relationships in a very interesting way. Um, at first glance, this is kind of a movie about geopolitics and what the world does, uh, our relationship with each other in different countries. But the central character uh, has a relationship with her daughter, and her husband that she's reflecting on often during this movie. And it's not clear why until the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you, it's completely um, devastating. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a movie that asks the question, is it better to have loved and lost than to have not loved at all? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a question I don't have an answer to, especially when it's a relationship between parents and children. Um, and it's, there's just not a love like a love between a parent and a child. Um, and it's it's a movie that really wrestles with that and mm-hmm. what that love means and um, what people are willing to do to experience that love. And that sounds very bizarre in a movie about aliens coming to Earth. Yeah. Wow. Um, and it, how incredibly clever it was of them to say, OK, let's imagine that aliens actually did come to Earth. What would actually what would that actually look like yeah and then they make an entire movie that is just about is it possible for us to communicate a message yeah back and forth and that is the entire movie yeah and because you, you, we see so many alien films and it's just like action-packed and yeah. they jump in and we're dealing with them and yeah. they're dealing with us and we're seeing you know they're seeing our world and whatever else but like you watch that movie and it's like i know that this is an alien movie i know that this is not realistic because it's an alien movie but if we accept that aliens might come visit this actually feels like a realistic way of dealing with it yeah and so for that reason alone i got sucked in immediately where i was just like how would we deal with that if a spaceship landed yeah. here? Yeah. It's insane. It's so well written. And the, the relationship and what it means in the movie is so beautifully done. And the I don't feel like the aliens detract from that at all. No, no. in a very weird, weird way, way, it adds to it. Yeah. Uh, and it's I'm not going to explain how yeah. it all ties together because the movie does that better than I do. But it's beautiful. Yeah. The movie's a masterpiece. Um, and... Denis Villeneuve makes... Who did Sicario. Yeah, who did Sicario. Um, and even Blade Runner, the new one, I, I didn't love. But like, what's what's great about his movies is that he takes these very wide scales and he shoots in like very beautiful places. And where, where Amy Adams is communicating with the aliens is in this green... Just like I think it's in like Montana or or something, and like it just like has these shots of like the clouds just like next to like this really green grass, and like it's just like it's like a perfect venue for like the approach that she wants to take with them, just like making sure that they're seen and they're heard, and just making sure that they're the human race is being represented correctly, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like I mean, it's and the the 
the ship that they come down in isn't distracting. It's it's very yeah. simple. Um, I would have loved to be a fly on the wall when they were like creating like the set design for this. Yeah. Um, I I didn't put it in my top ten because like I I knew it was going to be in somebody's top ten, but I'm I'm glad we're taking yeah, the time to talk about it. It was an honorable mention for yeah. me. I mean, it's the movie I've thought the most about since seeing it and yeah. i think that's the metric i went by for this list again it could have gone a million different ways but mm-hmm. i think it's the movie that affected me the most so those are our top tens of the decade again lists are meaningless but this has been a fun exercise for us to revisit some of our favorite movies can we without talking about them we should list off the uh, honorable oh, for sure yeah but have. first i have to say eli you gave me a hard time because paddington 2 was not on my list yeah that's a movie that transcends lists Okay. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, well, because Meg, because Meg said it was the best movie she had ever seen, and, and I, I was stand like, "How by is that. it?" Yeah. It's just yeah. you. If you, I just, I think part of the reason I didn't include it is because I've talked about it so much on this podcast yeah. that it, I don't need to talk about it again. But obviously, Paddington Two is one of the best <laughs> movies of the decade. Okay. Uh, we have Ex Machina, Moneyball, True Grit, Lincoln, Joy, The King's Speech. Hunt for the Wilder People, Tully, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Coco. That's our combined list of honorable mentions. All fantastic movies. Yeah. yeah. All movies you should see. Um, Nick, it's been such a pleasure having you back you in know, the studio. I'm, I'm so happy I came back for this one. When you told me what we were going to be doing, I thought I thought a lot about like the movies that I was going to pick, and like it, I came to the realization that like this decade is when like I really started to like like movies. Yeah. Like I'd always like liked movies, but like. I turned 21 in 2009 and it was like I kind of like realized like who I was and like what I liked and like things that I wanted to see and like this was just this was just so much fun to think about it and put it all together and like you and like it's just like what we were talking about like we remember the times when we watched these yeah. and like I'm so excited for like the next who knows how many years that I'm going to be watching movies and like still having these experiences and it was great. I mean, not to get too philosophical, but uh, the media you consume really makes part of who you are. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, And the media you respond to says a lot about who you are. And I think it's fun to talk about those things and learn more about what makes humans human and why we like the things that we do. Mm -hmm. Anyway, looking forward to the next decade in movies. Absolutely. Uh, We are taking a little break for the holidays, but we'll be back in early January. So we will see you then. 